perspective. I was amazed to hear what she and Wade still had accomplished, and nearly as amazed to have known nothing of their exploits until that moment. I asked her why she had never spoken of it, nor had anyone else in the family. She shrugged it off, as if to say that risking your neck for strangers speaking strange tongues in a strange and hostile world thousands of miles from home didn't merit discussion, certainly not special recognition. It was just something that needed to be done. We spoke together several more times, and out of these conversations came an eight-page document entitled A Matter of Faith, for which Mr. Paraso gave me the only A I ever received in high school. I understood, of course, that Martha had confined herself to the highlights of her story. Exciting as it was, I instinctively realized that it was part of a much deeper and broader saga— And the more I reflected on it, the more I realized it would be up to me to tell this important story. After high school, I entered Hampshire College in Amherst, Massachusetts, which is about twenty-five miles from the house where Waitstill then lived in Greenfield. The Reverend Sharp's life since retirement from the pulpit in 1972 was fairly circumscribed, partially as a consequence of age-related infirmities— He no longer was quite so square-shouldered, strong, and resolute as he always appeared in photos, although he did still wear his signature wire-rimmed spectacles. Wade still read the New York Times each morning, watched the news with Walter Cronkite, and read a lot of historical nonfiction and biography, with particular emphasis on World War II and its causes. He was especially interested in books about the rise of Hitler— Raised on a farm, he also taught me how to compost. We attended church together on Sundays, and we often discussed religion, faith, and its role in both his public and private life. Though retired, he continued to deliver guest sermons from time to time. I attended a few of them, and each had a profound effect on me. Each was fully considered and powerful. If there was an overarching theme to them— It was the importance of finding the joy of serving others. Since it was exactly that search that then occupied much of my time, I listened closely as he spoke. The past seemed to interest him only insofar as it illuminated the present. He did humor me when I asked about the relief missions to Europe. He filled in a few blanks in Martha's narrative, told me a tale or two of his own daring-do, and generally agreed that humans rebuffed my admiring suggestions that he and Martha had received insufficient recognition for their remarkable sacrifice. Like Martha, he saw their deeds as just something that had needed to be done. I saw the situation otherwise. Of course, I was proud of them, proud to be their grandson and certain that their story needed to be told— My purpose, naturally, would be to learn from the example of Martha and Waitstill in their lives, but I also wanted to rescue their example as an object lesson for a new age. As they both emphasized to me, if the civilized world learned anything from the Holocaust, it was that to placate or ignore an evil such as Nazism is morally wrong and practically ensures there will be great suffering as a consequence— They had seen and deeply experienced it for themselves, firsthand. Yet on the evidence of subsequent experience with the likes of Cambodia's Pol Pot, Slobodan Milosevic in the Balkans, or the slaughterers in Rwanda, Congo, and Darfur, the world's people must relearn the hard lesson with every generation. 
What the Sharps demonstrated by example was their fundamental belief that this moral imperative to confront evil wherever it appears holds true for the individual as well as society. I can't think of a more important message for me to carry from their generation to mine and beyond. Unfortunately, Waite still died before I could begin systematic interviews with him. Martha survived him by sixteen years, but her memory was irretrievably lost to senile dementia before I was able to capture and fully record her story. There seemed to be no way forward until a short time following her death in 1999, when we discovered among her possessions a trove of documents, photos, and personal artifacts dating back to her school days. The vast and eclectic archive includes everything from personal letters, official reports, and photos, to maps, handwritten notes, calendars, date books, hotel tabs, ticket stubs, playbills, and other souvenirs of Martha and Waitstill.